Got to watch those music people. They're a little different, let me tell you. I married one of them, I know. <laughs> I meant in a good way. I meant that in a good way. <laughs> How's everybody this morning? <laughs> she knows I was teasing, don't you? There goes my dinner. <laughs> How's everybody this morning? Did, how many overslept this morning? Oh, Miss Juanita. Uh, just send it too. <laughs> Let's dismiss and go home. <laughs> it's good to have you this morning. If you're visiting with us, just kick back and enjoy it with us and just have a good time. We just. Have a good fellowship here, and we're, we're glad you're here, and we always appreciate visitors with us. If you will, get your Bibles and turn to two different passages today. Mark chapter 15, 33 and 30, through 33, Mark chapter 15, verse 33 through 36, and then hold your finger on that one, and then flip over to John 19, 28 through 30. This is the third message in a series that we're calling The Final Words from the Cross. Today we're going to consider words of anguish. Again, it's, it's interesting to hear the last words that some of the famous people said right at the end of their lives. Dwight L. Moody. Now, Dwight L. Moody is one of the greatest preachers of the, of the eight, uh, 19th century. He was probably the Billy Graham of his day. He was about 350 pounds, I start to say feet tall, 350 pounds, he stood about five foot four, and so he was a rotund type person. But let me show you one thing that he did that probably wouldn't work in our church today. It said that he was known to quite often carry one of his cigars that he smoked all the time up to the pulpit. Now remember, this is a hundred years ago, over a hundred years ago. He was just a unique person. But let me tell you something about him. He was uneducated. He was unordained as an evangelist, but he shook two continents for the message of Christ. See, it doesn't just depend on your education. What matters is, has God got a hold of you? That's when things change. As he lay dying in 1899, his family gathered around him and heard him speak his last words. Here's what he said. Is this dying? Why? This is bliss. There is no valley. Earth is receding. Heaven is opening. God is calling. Sorry, but I must go. What a great way to go. During these series, we've been studying the last words that Jesus spoke from the cross. These weren't his last words because, unlike other people, Jesus rose from the dead. Now, if you're in that category, then we'll talk about you too, but I don't think anybody here is. But it, Jesus rose from the dead and spoke many additional words, and he's still speaking today, in spite of what the view says. God still speaks to us, and if you'll let him, he'll speak to you. So he's still speaking us today, to us today. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, we heard him say to the thief on the cross, Father, uh, excuse me, when they were nailing him to the cross, 
Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. Then he spoke words of love to his mother, words of restoration to John, as John had deserted him at the time that he needed him the most, the beloved disciple. Last week we heard Jesus speak words of promise to a thief hanging on a cross. I can't help but compare those words to what happened to Adam in the book of Genesis. In Genesis, when Adam sinned, a pure man became a sinner. And he was expelled from paradise. At the cross, a sinner became a pure man, and he was promised paradise that very day. Wow. We serve a good God, don't we? At the cross, a sinner became a pure man and was promised paradise. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, to the thief on the cross. Now let's go back to Golgotha and hear what Jesus says today, these final words of cross, of the cross. Mark chapter 15, verse uh, 33 through 36. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word together? Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling out for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge with sour vinegar, put it, to his, put it on a reed, and offered to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. And they all had a good laugh. Now, if you will, flip back over a little bit farther to John chapter 19, beginning in verse 28 through 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now, what, now, as a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with a sour wine, put it on a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. And Lord, as we come to this part of this series that we're looking at, that, Lord, you would let these words of anguish penetrate our minds and our thoughts of what was going on that day. Because, Lord, this, the sin of the cross is so central to everything that we are and we believe. Lord, if it wasn't for the cross and the suffering that Jesus went through, we wouldn't be here today. We would all be destined to hell and damn, damnation. We just ask you to take these words today as we look at them. And move in our hearts that, Lord, if there be anyone in this room that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, today would be the day of salvation. Thank you, Lord. Go with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me stop for just a minute. I want to do something this morning. Miss Jordan, would you come up here? Mom can come with you if you don't want to come on. We're not going to embarrass you. We're going we're gonna to lift you up, in fact. Tara called me last week and asked if she could meet this morning. And I said, sure we can. And Miss Jordan 
made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. I tried to talk her out of it, but she was dead set doing it. So, now it, uh, she made that decision, and next week she's going to be baptized. And so we want you to bring somebody with you. Now, did that embarrass you too much? Don't say yes. <laughs> That's all I want to do. But let's let's stop a moment. Lift her up, would you? Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. And Lord, we just ask that you be with Jordan as she begins this new walk of her life. That Lord, you would grow her into the woman that she needs to be one of these days and that she will always keep you first and foremost in her heart and her life. Thank you, Lord, for what they mean to us as a church body. But, Lord, most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ that died for our sins. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much. I just thought she needed to be recognized. But <clears throat> Next Sunday morning. She'll be baptized, and so keep that in mind. Come join with us and have, have a great time as we do that. Today you'll be with me in paradise is what he told the criminal on the cross. Now remember, in case you don't remember last week, this man had been found guilty. This man knew he was guilty. He knew he was getting what punishment he deserved. Not necessarily wanted, but deserved. He was a criminal. He had probably done everything in his life wrong. But on the cross, he came to know Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great story? Let's go back to Golgotha again. Again, these words today are called words of anguish. And you'll see why here in just a few moments. Because these two sayings that we're going to look at express the deepest anguish Jesus experienced while he was on the cross. This is the time of anguish, of hurt, of pain, whatever adjective you want to use. This was a time when Jesus was hurting, but yet he kept focused on one thing. You and I. Jesus did. Well, I wasn't there. Oh, yes, you were. You may not have been there physically, but you were there because Jesus died for each one of us that day. Again, calling these words anguish because these two sayings express the deepest anguish that Jesus experienced on the cross. Let's look closer at each of these two expressions of anguish. Number one, he uses the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Express the isolation of the cross that he was feeling. Jesus on the cross. Remember, the Father and the Son have been together all of Eternity. For the first time, Jesus looks around and God's not anywhere around. What happened? Can you imagine the isolation, the the pain he must have felt that the Father left me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The gospel record record tells us that Jesus was on the cross for six hours. He was put on the cross roughly around 9 a.m. in the morning, the third hour from 6 a.m. Sunrise is what they considered it. And he died at 3 p.m. the same day. At the sixth hour, high noon, suddenly something happened that cannot be explained because it was a God thing. At noon, the brightest part of the day, 
all of a sudden the Bible tells us that there was complete and sudden darkness. I'm talking about night darkness. When you're out in the field somewhere and you have no flashlight and all of a sudden the dark consumes you. Nothing becomes clear. You can't see because the whole time had turned dark. Remember, this is at noon. It wasn't at night time. The, next, the, the text says actually that darkness fell on the earth. One moment the sun was shining, the next moment it was as dark as dark can be. It was dark as if someone had turned out the light switch of the sun. As we shall see in a minute, this wasn't an eclipse. I've heard people say, well, that was an eclipse that took place. I don't believe so. Let me show you why. It was thick black. You could almost reach up and touch the darkness like a blanket. It was a kind of unexpected darkness that chilled the skin, curdled the blood of the people there that day. That's how dark it was. Something unusual happened. It wasn't an eclipse. The taunts and the catcalls from the observers close to the cross came to a sudden stop. All of a sudden, these people that have been jeering at him and laughing at him and come on down and said, you're, you're supposed to be God's son. Come down if you really are. Save yourself and save us too. And all of a sudden, that darkness fell. And there wasn't any jeering going on anymore. There wasn't any laughter. There wasn't anything going on except they knew something's going on. They didn't know what was transpiring, but they knew something was going on. As those around the cross realized that something eerie was happening. Shivers of fear ran up and down their spines. This darkness continued for three hours, and then out of the darkness, a scream pierces the darkness when Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you deserted me? Of all the words spoken from the cross, these words are certainly the most amazing. There are two important nuggets of truth that we can get from that statement right there. Now those words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, literally mean, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken so that I could be accepted. Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken means to be utterly abandoned. Jesus didn't cry those words simply because he felt forsaken. He cried them because he actually was forsaken. In a moment in which Jesus became sin on the cross, God abandoned him. You say, why would God do that? Stay with me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus never became a sinner. Instead, he became sin for us. Think about that. When God looked down at his son, he saw the cesspool of sin emptied upon Jesus' head. The sins of every one of you sitting here, the sins of everyone that's ever lived since the cross, and the sins of everyone at the cross that day. 
That's a bunch of sins to be poured out on one person. He saw the cesspool of sin emptied on Jesus' head. No wonder he turned away from the sight. Who could bear to look at that? How gross it must have been. How filthy it must have been. Indeed, God is holy and pure. The Bible tells us that God cannot look upon sin. So for that short time in which the transaction of our salvation was taking place literally, Jesus was abandoned by God. Wait a minute, why did he do that? The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13, you, of our, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look at wickedness. Isaiah 54, verse 7 and 8 says, For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will bring you back. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. Did you get the text of that? For a moment, God and Jesus had been connected for as long as there was an existence. And for that one moment, God turned his back on him. He left him. He disappeared, if you will. But that verse we just read says, but it's just for a moment I left. He couldn't look upon the sin. This is the saddest cry ever heard on earth. From the beginning of the beginning of the beginning, God the Father and God the Son had been co-equal, co-existent. They communed together in a relationship with Jesus described as, I and the Father are one. And now all of a sudden, for a moment, that was broken. But for those few hours in which Jesus became sin for us, the bond was somehow broken between Jesus and the Father. Did you notice Jesus addressed God with the title of God? Every other time that Jesus spoke of God, he called him Abba, which means Father or Daddy. The first word from the cross was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The last word from the cross was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But the central moment of his suffering, Jesus called God Eloi, or simply God. My two sons have always called me dad or daddy. This cry of Jesus would be like one of my sons walking to our house and Mr. Melton, can we talk? I'd probably kick him out. In fact, we won't go there. But This cry of Jesus would be like one of my sons walking into my house, my blood kin, and saying, Mr. Melton, I need to talk to you about something. These words are too deep for us to fully comprehend if you think about it. You don't have to understand the theological basis of it in order to experience the benefit of it. You may not understand how electricity works, but you can still make it to use it to make your life better. Jesus was God forsaken so you and I can be God accepted. I love the words of the song Amazing Love, written by Billy James Foote. The lyrics say, 
I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. That's the picture of the cross, folks. Here's the next nugget of truth that we learn through this time. Number two, Jesus died in darkness so I can live in the light. As I mentioned earlier, the Bible says that noon darkness fell on the scene of Golgotha. There's a creepy feeling. Have you ever been at home at night, maybe all by yourself, and all of a sudden the lights went out? And the first thing you think of, what's going on here? I don't like this. Maybe you start stumbling around for a flashlight or something, a candlelight or whatever it may be. But you've got that fear for just a moment. It may not be justified, but in our minds it is. And we're a little afraid of what's going to take place. Have you ever been in that situation and suddenly the power goes off? That's what it must have been like that day at high noon, folks. It wasn't at 9 o'clock at night. It was at high noon. In the movies or passion plays, the darkness is often portrayed as a thunderstorm. And maybe even eclipse. But there's no reason to believe that this was a supernatural phenomena of darkness during the daytime. This was an unusual event. This was something taking place. Obviously, this wasn't a solar eclipse. Jesus was crucified during the Passover when the moon was full, and it's impossible for the moon to be positioned between the earth and sun during the moon phase. I read that. I don't know that. But it came from a pretty good book called the comic book, so I I think it's true. No, I'm I'm kidding that part. (laughs) Another reason it wasn't an eclipse is because the darkness lasted for three hours. How long does an eclipse last? Usually four, five minutes, six minutes, somewhere in there. This lasted for three hours, and it was dark. When we have an eclipse around here, it gets a little darker, but it doesn't ever look like nighttime. This was something different. It wasn't an eclipse. It wasn't a thunderstorm. This was God doing this. This was a supernatural darkness. I think when God closed his eyes to the cross, and this is just my opinion, I think that when God closed his eyes to the cross, the lights went out. This is the same God who spoke into the darkness, let there be light, and there was light. He could have simply thought, let there be darkness, and there was darkness. When God turned his face from the cross, The world temporarily lost light. Wow. The Bible says in 1 John 1, verse 5 through 7, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we all walk in the light as He is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us all from sin. The great songwriter Isaac Watts wrote about the darkness in one of his hymns. Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for men, for man the creature's sin. Jesus died alone in darkness so that we can walk together in light and have fellowship with God. 
Let's look at the, the text word of anguish. The next word of anguish, excuse me. Jesus said, I thirst. Express the agony of the cross for Jesus. The Bible says, Jesus shouted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? With a loud voice. I think the words, I thirst, came out as a hoarse whisper. Remember, he had been on the cross now for several hours. His throat was dried. Pain was unimaginable what it was like. And with all of his voice, he shouted out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the next words he spoke were, I thirst. But I think it probably came out more like, I thirst. Because what he's been through. Picture yourselves with nails through your hands and let me rephrase it, spikes through your hands and feet. Let's see how good you'd feel that day. Hanging at a place where he could barely breathe. Lifting himself up the best he could just to take a breath. I would imagine that your breath would be very shallow. So I think it, when he said those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was with a loud voice. He was shouting that out. But I think the word words, I thirst came out as a hoarse whisper. Those two words, more than any, speak to us of the physical agony on the cross. This is Jesus we're talking about. Jesus that had the power to speak one word and the angels would have came and took Him off the cross and rescued Him and so forth. Why did He do it? If I had an army behind me that would take care of me, then I'd probably... Come on down and get them. You know why he didn't do it? Because he looked out over the years to come. He looked in the year of 2018. And he said, there's people sitting in a little church called Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. And if I call those angels do, there's no hope for them. There's absolutely nothing they can do. He died for you and I, folks. Don't miss that point. Don't miss what it's for. Jesus could have called the angels. He could have called 10,000 angels to literally wipe the face of the earth off of people. But he stayed on the cross because he looked in the distance and saw each and every one of us sitting here today as well as multitudes outside these doors. And he stayed there. I'm not going to go into any of the detail or many of the details of the physical agony on the cross, but right now, but don't forget that Jesus endured the same kind of human pain on the cross that you or I would if we had spikes driven through our feet, spikes driven through our hands, nailed us to an old rugged cross. Imagine the pain. That's exactly what Jesus felt. Well, Jesus was God. He didn't feel any pain. Oh, yes, he did. He felt every bit of the pain the same way we would. In fact, I don't believe I could ever believe in a God if it were not for the cross. What? What are you talking about? In the real world, we have pain. We hurt. We get hurt. Things happen to us. How could one worship a God who was, had no pain and never experienced pain? You see, Jesus went to the cross for us so that we might see what it's all about. 
as we see that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and his feet, back lacerated from the whipping he got just a few hours before, brow bleeding where thorns are stuck into his, scraped his skull with those long, sharp thorns, people mocking and laughing at him. If you were really God's son, you'd come down off the cross and you'd save yourself and you'd save us. And what he was telling them is, I am saving you. You just don't realize it. And that's still true today. God still is saving us when he was on the cross. And many times, I've never understood how people could come to a church service and some get touched by the power of God, the Spirit of God, and make a life change in their life. And others get up and walk the door not even affected. How do they do that? I lived for about the first 19 years of my life. Didn't even know who Jesus was. Had no desire to come to know Him. Then one day, sitting in a church service quite similar to this one, God spoke to me. I didn't get saved that morning. But that next Friday night, sitting on a corner of Fort Worth, Texas, I just messed up a chance to play baseball. I would messed up everything in my life, for that matter. I would even lost my girlfriend before Judy. I mean, everything was falling apart in my life. And I remember walking to a man's, he was a youth director at a church there in our area, walking down the street to his house. He always said, if you ever need to talk, come by. And folks, this is as God is my witness. I walked over to his house rang the doorbell, he came to the door, and his words to me were, Oh, good to see you. We've been expecting you. I thought, how in the world could you expect me? I didn't even know I was coming. And right there in his door, you know what they were having that night? The youth were gathered to have a youth prayer meeting at his house. Guess what one of the subjects was? Right here. That night I bowed beside his bed. Not a church. Didn't know anything about a church. And he led me in a prayer, and I prayed that prayer. And just like Jordan did this past week, he, I came to know Jesus Christ. And oh, what a difference he makes in your life. Let's move along. As we see that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, bleeding from the brow, those, nail, those thorns stuck into his skull, into his skin under his skull. All the torture that he suffered. Mouth dry, intolerably thirsty. Plunged into God-forsaken darkness. That's the God for me. I don't want a God that has never experienced pain. Because this world is full of pain. Your life is full of, full of pain. You're going to have pain in your life if you haven't yet. He set aside his immunity to pain. He entered the world of flesh and blood, tears and death. Let's consider two truths about the agony of the cross. Number one, Jesus precisely filled ancient prophecies on the cross. Did you notice that just before Jesus said, I thirst, we read in verse 28, so that the Scriptures could be fulfilled? That's very important. Remember that. Sometimes we miss the fact that these details of the crucifixion of Christ were fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament. Although the Old Testament was written hundreds of years before the crucifixion, 
These prophecies read as if the writer is standing in front of them, watching Jesus die. The cry, for instance, I thirst, fulfilled the words in Psalms 22, verse 15 and 16. And then Psalms 69, verse 21. When he says, my tongue clings to my jaws, they pierce my hands and feet. They also gave me gall for my food. And my thirst, they gave me, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. That's exactly what happened. That was said in the Old Testament. One of the greatest arguments to support the truth of the Bible is how we can reap the prophets. Is written hundreds of years before an event even occurred. And then we read how those predictions came true. For instance, consider ten Old Testament prophecies about the death and burial of Jesus Christ that were precisely filled. Number one, Psalms, 40, uh, Psalms 41 verse 9 says the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend who would eat bread with him. That was fulfilled when Judas took the piece of bread. Jesus offered him and then betrayed Jesus. Number two, Zechariah chapter 11 verse 1 predicted the Messiah would be sold out for 30 pieces of silver. Remember, this is hundreds of years before the crucifixion. That's exactly the amount that Jesus was sold out for. Number three, Isaiah 50 verse 6 predicted his back would be beaten and he would be spat upon. We know that happened during the torture of Christ. Number four, Isaiah 53, 12, even predicted the Messiah would be crucified with criminals. Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Number five, Psalms 22, 16, predicted his hands and his feet would be pierced. And that was written hundreds of years before crucifixion was even there. It had not even thought of yet. Hundreds of years before it was ever used as a means of crucifying somebody, the Bible always spoke about it. Isaiah 53, 12 predicted the Messiah would pray for those who crucified him. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Number seven, Psalms 22, verse 6 and 8 predicted the Messiah would be mocked and insulted by bystanders. Those standing by the cross taunted Jesus to come down if he was really the Son of God. We know that happened. Number 8, Psalms 22, verse 18. Even predicted the soldiers would cast lots for his clothes. A small, minute detail, but yet it was recorded hundreds of years before it happened. We just read where that happened. Number 10. Excuse me, number 9. Psalms 69, verse 21. Predicted he would be given vinegar to drink. That's what we just saw happen. Number 10, Isaiah 53, 9, predict the Messiah would be buried in a rich man's grave. These are details that couldn't have happened by chance, folks. It just, it's not possible. What are the odds of these 10 things happening by chance? Well, let me give you a little demonstration now. Judy don't usually let me carry money, so I don't have any money. But just imagine that I had ten pennies in my pocket. Usually that's about as much as I get to carry. But on those pennies, I wrote the numbers one through ten. 
on them and placed them in my pocket. What would the odds be of me reaching into my pocket and pulling that first, on the first try, pulling out that penny mark number one? Well, really, it's actually not too bad of odds. One in ten. So we could do that. But to put that penny back in my pocket, and then on the second try to pull out the penny mark number two, what would the odds of that be? All of a sudden, it jumps to odds of one to a hundred. The odds of reaching in and pulling out the number three penny on the third try is one in one thousand of a chance. You get the picture. Let's move ahead. The odds of pulling out each penny in order by the time we got to penny number ten, I'm told would be around one in one billion. And Jesus fulfilled dozens of Old Testament prophecies, not just ten. These predictions about Jesus' death would be like finding a document from the 1200s that predicted that in 1963, the leader of our nation named America would be killed in a city named Dallas with a shot from a rifle from the sixth floor of a Texas depository book depository building while riding in a limousine. At that time, it was written, when it was written, there was no such thing as America. There was no such thing as a rifle or automobiles. A verified prediction that would literally shake the world if it happened. If you're a halfway intelligent person, you can't ignore the fact that Jesus precisely fulfilled dozens of scriptures written hundreds of years earlier. Number two, Jesus endured the torture of hell so I can enjoy the treasures of heaven and you. Some people believe that in his death, Jesus descended into hell. The Bible never says that. He, descend, that he never says that he descended into hell. In fact, we saw last week that Jesus said to the, cross on, to the thief on the cross, he went to paradise with him next to him that day. That moment. I don't believe that the Bible teaches Jesus literally descended into hell. I do believe the Bible teaches that Jesus experienced hell for us during those three hours of darkness. Jesus didn't go to hell. Hell came to Jesus for those hours. Think about it. What is hell? Hell is a place of eternal separation from God. When Jesus died... He experienced temporary separation from God the Father. That's why he yelled, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we could lower a microphone down into heaven, I mean down to hell, I think we would hear thousands of people, of God-forsaken people, crying, God, my God, why did you forsake us? Hell is also a place of darkness. In Matthew 8, verse 20, uh, Matthew 8, 12, Jesus said, Hell is a place of darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sometimes people joke about hell and, they, and imagine it would be a, a scene of bright lights and party time and all this living life wild. The Bible says just the opposite. It's a dark place where there's nonstop misery. The only place in the universe where the light of God does not shine is in hell. 
By enduring those three hours of darkness on the cross, Jesus experienced the darkness of hell for us. Hell is also a place of agony, we're told. Do I believe in hell? I certainly do. Absolutely I do. Jesus spoke about both hell and heaven. Is hell a place of fire and brimstone? I think it's even worse than that. I believe that's the only description that we could understand. And so he used that description. I believe it's even worse than that. I think the Bible uses that metaphor because fire and brimstone because it's so painful thinking. That's why he chooses to use that metaphor, if you will. In Luke chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus described a rich man who went to hell. He cried out to Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Eternal separation, eternal darkness, eternal agony. That's what hell is. And Jesus was our substitute. Grasp hold of that. He suffered the pains and the arrows of hell so that we don't have to. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, and then 3.18, He Himself bore our sins in His body on a tree. By His wounds you have been healed. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Why did Jesus die on the cross? For you and I, folks. That's why He did it. I don't know why Jesus loved me that much. But he did, and he does for each one of us. He went to the cross, not because it was an enjoyable experience, but because he loved us that much. Jesus was the righteous one. I'm the unrighteous one. But he took my place so that I could know God. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that, brought, grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Let me close with this true story. At least I'm told it is anyway. There's a true story about a church over in Norway where the figure of the lamb can be seen carved high on the tower of the church. There's a fascinating story behind that carving. When the church was under construction many, many years ago, workmen were on a scaffolding working on the uncompleted tower. One of the workers lost his balance and fell screaming toward the pavement down below. His fellow workers climbed down expecting to find him dead, obviously. But to their amazement and joy, he was alive and walking only with a slight injury. Here's the story. At the moment of his fall, a flock of sheep were walking below. He landed on top of a lamb. The lamb was crushed to death, but broke the workman's fall, and he survived. In memory of his miraculous deliverance, the workman carved the lamb on the tower at the exact height that he fell from. That's a powerful powerful image and applies to each one of us. We are all fallen men and women, and Jesus is the Lamb of God. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgression and crushed for our iniquities.
Jesus, the Lamb of God, went to the cross carrying the burden of our sin and rebellion, and the load of our sin crushed him to death on that cross. That was a heavy load to carry. In his death, he broke our fall, and now we can walk away forgiven and delivered by the death, his death on the cross. Years ago, now, most of you know that I'm a big Elvis Presley fan. I've been for years and years. I know he wasn't always what we want, but I just, he, I, I liked him. I still do. Well, don't anymore because he's not here. But anyway, years ago, Elvis Presley recorded a song, Jesus Walked That Lonesome Valley. The words say, you've got to walk that lonesome valley. Well, you've got to walk it by yourself. There's no one else can walk it for you. You've got to walk it for, by yourself. Truthfully, Jesus did walk that lonesome valley by himself. As he faced death, he carried our sins, and God looked away. But the words of that song were totally wrong, scripturally, if you think about it. Because Jesus walked that lonesome valley, we don't have to walk it. Our song, our song Psalms chapter 23, 4, says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, O God, are with me. Jesus spoke the final words of anguish, so we won't ever have to utter them. He cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we never have to be forsaken by God. He cried, I thirst for us, so that we can hear the words of his last invitation found on the pages of the Bible. Revelations chapter 22, verse 17. And let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. He died in darkness, so you and I can live in light. He suffered the torments of hell, so you and I can have a way to paradise. It's impossible to resist the kind of love that Jesus has for us. Let me close by asking you this simple little question. Do you need Jesus in your life? Will you ask Him today? He still responds. I don't care what the ladies on view said. Jesus still speaks to us if we'll listen to Him. He speaks to us every day if we'll listen to Him. It doesn't matter what they say. Jesus is saying, Will you walk with me? Will you this morning? Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. As we come to the close of this service, we just ask that you would be with each one. Lord, I don't know the hearts and the needs of every person here today, but I do know this, that you've promised, just like that thief on the cross, that we will come to you, and you will change our life and make it what it should be. Just like little Jordan came, and Lord, as she gave her life to Jesus, I'm sure she doesn't understand all the theological things that take place. All she knows is that I asked Jesus in my heart and He came in. And she wants to follow me. Lord, there may be adults here today that just like Jordan, that you don't understand all of it. Let me tell you something. I don't either. I don't understand everything in the Bible. I can't understand why God would love somebody like me. But He did and He does. Lord, thank You. This invitation is open to any person. Maybe you just need to bow these steps and just have prayer between you and God. Maybe there's a need in your life. Maybe there's a circumstance you're facing, whatever it may be. This is your opportunity. 
Our deacons will be at the side of the buildings. You can talk to one of them. They'll guide you. They'll talk to you. Whatever the need is. Or maybe you just need to bow at these steps and say, Lord, draw me closer to you. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.